of the eternal debates that all EDH players face when making deck building decisions is synergies or staples. Does a card's mechanical or thematic relevance outweigh its efficiency when compared to the format's most powerful spells, and ultimately, does it even matter? Welcome to Magic the Flavoring, the Magic the Gathering podcast where we talk about all things magic, flavor design and lore. I am your host, Andy Mann. Hello, this is Nathan Cancel. And today we are going to be talking about synergies versus staples in deck building. So we've been quite lore heavy over the past uh, few months. I think that's kind of the, the groove that we've fallen into. Is looking at the the kind of heavy flavor of cards and the lore. Obviously, flavors in our name, but something that I think we've always tried to do in one or two episodes, and it was certainly something that we wanted to talk about more when we first started the podcast. Nathan is the kind of mechanical themes, a mechanical flavor of of cards and decks, as much as how much lore is being packed into them, right? Yeah, well, it's the, um, the 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 scale of are you a Vorthos or a Melvin, right? Like, yeah, it, it, and and I think mechanical flavor is really important as well as like law flavor and, and an artistic flavor um because i think that's really kind of how, like how the how a card functions and how it feels as you play it actually probably has more to do with what the card is doing rather mm. than what the card is represented by right uh, sometimes maybe that nuance can get lost a little bit um when you're kind of like building and when you see the same cards in um pre-cons um and that's an interesting one because i think i think that's a good flavor point for later we'll talk about yeah because uh, maybe pre-cons aren't doing that anymore but yeah you're seeing the same cards and like play throughout um um, like history, I guess, of, of the format. There are some that have stuck around, and then there are others that seem to be much more flexible. Yeah. So. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about synergies versus staples. Uh, it's kind of a question that I think all players kind of pick up on, and it's certainly since EDH has become sort of the format of choice for the majority of Magic players as well, because you can have this kind of breadth and creativity in your deck building. The argument between do you just put the same sort of 100 cards that EDH rec tell you are the most played cards in your deck because you know they work well? Or do you try and branch out? Or do you fit to a theme? Or whatever the hell you want to do. This isn't necessarily a problem for a lot of other formats. Although I know some people like building rogue decks or theme decks, like especially if they're tribal, for example. But this just seems to be a question that you and I have been having for a lot, like it, recently, just in our sort of private conversations about magic, because we don't record every conversation we have about magic because it would be 30 hours a week at least. No, but somebody does. <laughs> somebody does. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I've also noticed other people talking about it as well. It just seems to be mm. just in the mindset of people at the moment of of where the game's going in terms of you know seeing the same cards over and over again. And I think a little bit of it to do, a little bit to do with it is the fact that because we're getting so much new product and because we are only staying on one set per plane these days, the kind of uh, ramping of different types of cards, of different flavor of cards, new mechanics, reprints, um, old spins on old cards, or like new versions of like old cards, and all this kind of stuff, is just making the game so diverse at such a rate. Whereas, say three or four years ago, you would have standard sets that would last maybe two sets or three set blocks, so it'd be like a half a year for all, like maybe one or two mechanics to kind of work its way out, and then you get the odd commander deck that would kind of help it out as well. But now it's just it's so ramped up. So we're going to be talking about it today. Um, we're going to be looking at at it kind of in like a flavor sense still. Like this isn't going to be a complete gameplay ep- uh, episode because we are still a flavor podcast. And I think for me at least, I don't know about you, Nathan, when I'm talking about synergies versus staples, the word synergies in the context of this episode will still mean like flavorful because you can have a deck that's super flavorful 
like a theme deck, but none of it synergizes. Like if you build like a Weatherlight deck or like a Phyrexian Praetors deck, none of the cards are going to synergize with each other in an EDH deck, even if they're all like on theme with each other. But I think for the purposes of this conversation, when we're talking about synergies, I am at least going to be talking about like if they thematically fit with each other or mechanically fit with each other, like they'll sit in the same category versus the staple cards that we're talking about. Like, Does that make sense? Yeah, well, I think the idea is that staples inherently aren't synergistic they are like or, te- or like typically they have they serve a function more than having like allowing other cards to serve a function through them it's almost like they sit independently mm. like i think it's a very good uh, jumping off point to talk about in terms of like um certain effects aren't replicatable certain certain cards need to do a certain thing and it's maybe better especially in terms of efficiency the more competitive you're playing the more likely you are to go with the best option like we talked about this when we were looking at flavor alternatives for the top 20 staples of the format yeah um and it's it was kind of hard to come away from certain cards like say cultivate or Kadama's Reach is really good examples of uh, cards that just do a certain thing that other cards we've seen a breadth of other flavorful options that do it but they are quote unquote worse mm. you know and it, depending on how competitive you feel um, or how much you need the, the deck to function succinctly like those will be your options whereas maybe sometimes there are better options out there that play to a specific theme but you know if you're playing super competitively it's usually because you're pushing towards a combo or maybe you're going like um, Voltroni or even like thematically Voltroni like if you're playing a Tulane deck it's not you're loading Tulane up with those of enchantments and equipments and attacking with him but every one of your cards in your deck funnels through that ability right so you yeah. don't want the bells and the whistles you need it to have the smallest amount of text possible to serve the function um so yeah yeah i think yeah i think these days the amount of words on cards i think we've gone from back in the day <laughs> when you had really old cards that were like overly complicated for no reason i felt like there was a point in the middle where they tried to cut down and they i think this is a, a, a like a, um, an inhalation exhalation thing with magic of where sometimes it feels like the game needs to simplify itself and then sometimes we get mechanics like mutate <laughs> so yeah, so it's one of those things. I think that because, as you say, we have so such an influx of different mechanics, different themes, different play styles coming into the game each year, and we don't settle on, say, landfall for three sets in a row. Um, mm. You tend to have so many more words on the cards that do so many more nuanced things that might not be. And this is going to be an interesting question in two years' time: of Are these really um, verbose cards going to become staples because they do a thing that's really, really succinctly, like, well, not succinctly, but something that's very powerful and nothing else does it like that? Or are they still going to fall to the wayside um, in favor of cards that have much smaller amount of text and just do a simpler thing? Yeah, it's interesting. I think a good, a good like little microcosm for for my approach to it is if you take a card like uh, Counter Spell, which is blue, blue Counter Target Spell. Classic staple counterspell card. It is the counterspell, right? And then you take another card like Stoic Rebuttal, which is one colorless blue blue counter target spell, but it has Metal Craft that says uh, Metal Craft Stoic Rebuttal costs one less to cast if you control three or more artifacts. So if you're in an artifact deck, it becomes a counterspell. When I ran my Brutoclad deck, which I took apart, but only recently, so it's still fairly fresh in my mind, I ran Stoic Rebuttal over counterspell because I wanted something that still functioned the same, but was synergistically and flavorfully on point for the rest of the deck, right? But if mm. I was really adhering to the staple idea, it's objectively a worse card than Counterspell, because if I don't have those three artifacts, I've got a Counterspell that costs one more. Do you know what I mean? At, at no point in the game is a Stoic Rebuttal better than a Counterspell. <laughs> sure. I guess the argument might be that if uh, you're playing around Spell Snare, right, that only counters the spell that has Converted Mana Cost 2. 
you know, maybe something like the corner I mean, cancer. That's I so niche. I know, I know. Well, I just come up with the most niche example. I know, I know. Well, this is the thing, right? Because strictly better isn't. A, you can't do that, like because there's always a, like a counter argument. But I have the same um, thing with uh, Wizards Retort. I have played Wizards Retort over Counter Spell and Will and Rowan, which has has a sub uh, a Wizard sub theme. Recently, I cut the Wizard sub theme out of it, so I had to cut Wizards Retort out of it because it was a synergistic counter spell rather than being a staple counter spell. I couldn't just leave it in because it the, the it's inherently worse than, than a counter spell because it doesn't have the typical flavor upside that the deck's looking for. Um, so that's very much a good example of like, yes, I was playing an arguably worse version because it flavorfully fit the deck. Um, and then once you cut that flavor out of the deck, then that card, card has to go with it. And it was only in there because of its quote unquote synergy. Mm, you know? Yeah. Well, I guess then like, let's, let's talk about like our, our sort of own experience then. Cause that's kind of really, this is really what this episode is. This is us recording a conversation that we've been having for like quite a lot recently if we were to look at our own EDH decks and what I'll do for listeners is uh, I'll put in the uh, link tree link to our link tree as that's what it is. Um, and on our link tree, we've got uh, links to our list deck lists of all our EDH decks. So if you want to look at our deck lists and scoff at them or <laughs> whatever, or if you just want to follow along as we're talking about sort of certain choices that we made in some of our decks, um, I will leave it there. Um, but we've often said on this podcast and we've said on social media and whatever that although we are, people who are very invested in the lore and the flavor and of magic the gathering that really our deck building choices are still quite competitive like if we use the outdated somewhat now system of like the number system in edh i think almost 90 percent of all of both of our decks sit in that six to eight range right very few mm. of them are jank fests very few of them are nines or CEDH. I know you've proxied up a CEDH deck, but I, I don't play CEDH at all. And then I'd say there's maybe a couple that sit around the five, but very quickly they start getting ramped up. I'm using this number system. I'm aware it's not very accurate, but it just kind of give you an idea of where we sit. And that that used to mean that that didn't leave a lot of room for overly synergistic, flavorful cards that weren't geared towards, you know... Uh, sort of win like fast wins like there were still a lot of staples in there because you want to play quickly but i am looking at my decks nowadays and i'm I'm thinking the ones that i've built recently like say in the past year year and a half they're far more wholly synergistic and therefore a lot more thematically flavorful and they're still quite powerful compared to deck lists that i built say four years ago where say like my azuri deck i've got a, i've got a list for an azuri plus one plus one counters deck that compared to my Kenrith Counters deck, which is a newer build, it's almost like night and day compared to the amount of staples versus highly synergistic cards that are in there. And I just, yeah, I mean, is that the same for you, do you think? Oh, absolutely. I think there are certain decks that I built back in the day, like, say, Prosh, which is um, good. It's like my quintessential, like, Battle Cruiser deck of where um, it doesn't play a lot of interaction. It plays all the big haymakers that kind of, like, typically... Um, you'd like see all the time that they don't necessarily have any cross energy beyond cool jund graveyard stuff i guess mm. but that's like that's like that's like sneezing you know when when you're playing um gave like oh oh i won through an, an arbitrary combo oops but like you compare that to like say i bought i built a um like a tormod um a tormod deck which plays all around um bringing cards back from the graveyard but not like a zombie staple kind of deck but all these like weird cards like despondency which is like an enchantment that comes back from the graveyard when the creature that's enchanted to dies and the idea mm. is you can keep bringing it back whilst enchanting your own creatures and sacrificing them or like vega i bought a, i built a vega deck recently and a lot of the cards in there feel specific like i i i'm never gonna play them in any other deck right like chronomatic escape for example cards like that that are really niche but work very well within that deck that 
I mean, I still think the deck sometimes spins its wheels too hard, but I mean, yeah, it was very, there's so much, there's so many options, I think, these days, and especially when you look at cards back in the day, um, that kind of allow for you to to have a, a range on cards that you don't have like you're not forced to play this specific card like you don't mm. have to play counter spell you don't have to play um swords to power shares you don't have to play all of the specific cards that typically were being played back in the day when you can have the same kind of options and potentially have a more powerful flex on it um if you're willing to look a little bit outside the box mm. it's interesting that you mentioned things like swords to plow shares and, and things like that because i think the, the very genesis of our talking about this recently was the fact that we were looking at our decks and talking about some of like the cool stuff that's come out recently and the, the sort of synergies and the flavor and oh we can add this in over that and blah 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 blah. And I think both of us kind of realized that one of the key areas of all of our decks that is actually kind of I'm not gonna use the word boring because that suggests that people who play staples are boring and that is not true. That's just flat not true. But maybe the the kind of cards that tend to be locked in per colour is the removal suite. So like all of my decks that have access to black white have a d spark in them all of my red decks had a chaos warp in them until i realized this and i started trying to swap things in and out and it's just interesting that the removal sweep just for me and you it seems and actually i'd also reached out um i, I did a bit of like polling on this i did a bit of a poll on twitter and also i checked out uh christian gregory has her own discord now um and on her discord i asked the the commander guys there in the, the commander chat like this very question of are there any areas that people feel like they're their decks kind of stagnate a little bit with staples versus synergies and it was the removal suite like all the people there that said that they had white decks there was uh one person who said that they played swords of plowshares in every white deck without fail and they they it wasn't necessarily a good thing but it was just you know if you're playing boros or if you're playing you know selesnia you don't have that many options and so you are going to keep it that way but I, I think there are lots of options. You just you just kind of forget because we have such an influx of cards, right? Mm. Well, yeah, I guess this is an interesting one. I think removal is a perfect example for this. Of um, aren't all staple cards like really interesting when they're first printed, and then because they're so good and so efficient, like Chaos Warp wasn't made that long ago, you know, and it was like an interesting option that Red didn't normally have a um, um, like have uh, access to, and mm. then because because now they do. Um, and it was very cool back in the day. Now everyone plays it in everything, but because again they haven't printed another option that fulfills that same function, um, it's very difficult to kind of um, find an alternative that in your mind like makes sense to put in there. Um, I was thinking at this like a uh, cutting ritual. Like cutting ritual is a new uh, sweeper spell, like two black green. Um, it destroys all non-land permanents that um, converts mana cost two or less, and you add a black or a green for each permanent destroyed this way. Now, that's a really cool effect that, that hasn't been seen before, and it gives a black another access to um, a sweeper effect outside of Gaze of Granite or Pernicious mm. Deed. But this card is probably going to be a, a horrific staple in a few years' time. Everyone will be playing it. Like yeah. Oversimplify, for example, is the first like Simic Wrath that we've ever got. And it feels flavorful because the idea is that, you know, you squish all of your creatures into this one amalgamation, you know, because it exiles everything. Um, and each player creates an XX equal to the, um, the power of creatures they control or whatever. And it's like, cool, that's a really cool effect. We haven't seen that before. Um, but that's going to be played in every single Simic deck going forwards. Um, Ink Shield, for example, a really cool, a new crazy fog effect. And it's probably better and, and, and more interesting. Um, um, doing the whole like, oh, you try and attack me, uh, 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 now I'm going to come come attack you back for even more. Like again, <laughs> this is probably going to be a staple in several years' time. And these are all kind of like react. Like again, the removal effects are kind of so 
that like i guess it's, it's interesting to think there are so many little avenues that haven't been explored properly yet that mm. as soon as they print that effect it does just become ubiquitous you know interesting interesting well the, well the one that popped to my mind where i sort of thought actually this is something i need to be looking in for for specific decks and again i'm going to talk about my kenrith deck is um is it closing arguments from strixhaven closing statement closing statement sorry from uh, strixhaven uh which is Three black white for an instant spell that reads: This spell costs two last uh, two less to cast for during your end step. Hence, closing statement. We talked about it in our flavor picks episode. Um, but the second part of the ability is destroy target creature or planeswalker you don't control. Put a plus one plus one counter on up to one target creature you control. So in my Kenrith deck, if I'm looking at the the Kenrith deck removal suite, um, I mean I think I've got the same kind of stuff that I usually always run in there. So if I look at my um, sorceries. I've got uh, Merciless Fiction. Vindicate is one that I play in a lot of decks that have access to black-white instance. Again, D-Spark in the five-color deck. I'm still putting black-white D-Spark in there. Exactly. <laughs> I don't play Shock. Uh, and then Utter End uh, as well is in there. Really, what I should be doing is I should be taking out Utter End and putting in Closing Statement. Closing Statement has the plus one, plus one counter synergy. And this is the kind of thing which I, I kind of... I sometimes get annoyed with Commander players specifically, and myself included, because I'm getting annoyed now just looking at my own deck lists. Where this kind of rush and this push to have not not tuned decks to the point where they're like solved because that's kind of pushing into like I think people are kind of fairly restrained when they don't want to make something that's just too oppressive. But these kind of like solved cards, if you like, where you know we know Utter End is good, we know that Vindicate is good, we know that D Spark is good. So why would you put something in that could potentially cost five mana and you know only says destroy target creature on it? Whereas the the little gains that you get from the other parts of the synergy and it's flavorfully relevant to your deck as well i th- i think outweigh the sort of quote unquote inefficiency of the rest of it and it's just interesting looking at it from a flavor perspective why haven't i already put this in my plus one plus one counters deck like i all my decks should be aiming for that i kind of mm. feel and and sometimes they just don't and it's kind of frustrating really yeah, do you play um, that Teamer counter spell that counters the spell and puts two plus one plus one counters on a creature you control? No, I don't. So, I'll be very honest. Counter spells aren't my yeah, hugest no. jam. Not because I'm against counter magic, but because I'm actively quite bad at playing them. So I tend to only put one or two in most of my blue decks, let alone the um, let alone the ones that are like multiple colors. I think I play Negate mm. in quite a few because it's quite flexible. Uh, but I always try and get different art from Negate. That's an interesting one as well, right? Isn't things like counter spells? I guess counter spells for me are like blue removal, right? It's just stack removal. Oh yeah, for in sure. The same fashion. Um, if answers tend to be less interesting than than the questions, right? Like the question's always more interesting than the answer. That might be a more philosophical way to look at it. But, um, <laughs> but it is. Yeah. But the one I guess the idea is that if they things like mortify and putrefy, right? They used to. They're still listed as like some of the best, um, most played cards in EDH decks. Um, mm. That's probably skewed a lot because uh, a lot of the pre cons will play them, and so maybe those numbers are inflated slightly um but the more they print similar options like things like assassin's trophy or um oh, i can't remember the other type of, um but, 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 but abrupt decay you oh, know sure. things like that that yes maybe are still more efficient or more competitive more likely to be played in cdh they still have more flavor to them you're still having to make a decision of do i pay do i play the less of that the more ex- the, the one more, more expensive broad effect for a putrefy or do i go for the more narrow effects like do i want it to be uncountable i'm more like to play against blue spells i mean again here you're not looking at the flavor of the card from a um like a thematic point of view looking at it from a mechanical point of view of where does like where's the hole in my deck do i just want this mm. blanket effect or do i want it to serve this 
nice specific niche function because this is what my deck's weak against and maybe that's a conversation that you need to look at and a lot of the removal especially in say a set like Strixhaven all of the removal is really interesting things like fracture rip apart I mean yes they do like blanket effects but they kind of like maybe that um Maybe I'm contradicting myself in the same sentence because rip apart doesn't necessarily feel flavorful when it can just go, oh, destroy this or destroy this or destroy this. Maybe in the same way fractures just destroy this or destroy this or destroy this. But isn't that still slightly more interesting than, say, our terrain, which just exile anything? Yeah. Um, mm, yeah. It's, it's an interesting one, right? Because you don't, you don't just want to make like a deck that doesn't function for all of your decks, right? And obviously some people might just not care. Like, as, as much as, you know, you and I champion this idea that you can play powerful magic and interactive magic and you can still push the ceiling on a lot of your decks and keep things flavorful and interesting and sort of surprising even to yourself and all this kind of stuff. That's kind of very high-minded, sort of lofty, self-aggrandizing bullshit, really, when you cut down to it. Like, for a lot of people, they want to have counterspell effect, they put counterspell in their deck. They want a removal effect, they put utter end in their deck. Like, it's, it's no big deal. And it's the attitude that they play with. So, you know, I realize that, you know, 20 minutes into this podcast, we're kind of backtracking a little bit and sort of going, obviously, this isn't for everyone. But mm. I, you know, I, I I sort of feel like there are, there are decks that kind of function in different ways and, and the kind of synergy versus staple versus theme versus function thing has a myriad of different combinations. So just before we started recording, I was sort of talking through a couple of my decks to you and I was sort of thinking that if I was to look at my Brutaclad deck, which I took it apart because I, I kind of, I thought it was done. It wasn't because I didn't like playing with it. It was just because, like, you know, when sometimes just a deck just kind of reaches its natural end and you just think, I've lived that life. I want to try something new. So that's mm-hmm. why I'm with my Brutaclad deck. But I do, in hindsight, really love it. That was a deck where I prioritized the form of it, right? I really wanted the, a Brutaclad deck that only produced artifact tokens and i could copy other things so i could use like a, a cackling counterpart or whatever a, you know quasi duplicate to copy other stuff but if i was creating tokens straight off the bat things like mirrors or thopters or golems or whatever else i just want it to be artifact tokens because so many other builds had things like eldrazi and elementals and whatever and they're cool in their own way but that's not what i wanted to do and so much of what i put into that deck if i look at the list it's so synergistic and it's still so on theme that everything kind of came together. And yeah, I was still playing stuff like Stoke Rebuttal, but it just kind of worked in that deck and it really hit all the flavor notes. If I compare that to my Pippa Duchess of Dice deck, which admittedly I don't necessarily want to push the ceiling on too high because it is meant to be kind of a fun knockaround deck. It's silver-bordered. You can't make silver-bordered decks too powerful because people get, you know, obviously a bit angry about it because they're broken cards. So I've, you know, wanted to keep the ceiling low. But my theme for that is I wanted to do like, you know, lots of polymorphing and changing the size of other creatures, you know, blowing them up or shrinking them down or polymorphing them into other things. And that's the whole kind of theme of the deck. But honestly, it has all those thematic cards in there, like giant growth and uh, like chaos wand and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't really function the way that I want it to function. <laughs> and I, I just kind of I find it interesting how two different decks with the same sort of approach of, I want to prioritize the theme and, and kind of um, stitched togetherness, if you like, of every single one of the cards as much as I possibly can. I'll include staples if if they fit, but if not, I won't necessarily put them in. And yet they can end up so different, right? Like, do you find that with any of your builds? Um, hmm. I mean, yeah, I guess there are certain cards that will that I play that feel more deliberate. You know, in certain they feel more like they they them they belong in certain decks than they do in others. Um, I guess 
trying to think because I try and do initially when I first started um, trying to do like a spread of decks I deliberately tried to avoid using the same cards in each deck because it kind of ruins the um, kind of the individuality of mm. each deck. Um, there are certain cards that I've, I've over the years, I guess I've just kind of, it's when I started buying play sets of things. So I was like, oh, I'll buy a play set of Counterspell, obviously, but funnily enough, we've already talked about this already, but it's the one place I remember buying and thinking, oh, I'm always, whenever I make a blue deck, I'm always going to have one to have access to Counterspell. And as I keep going to reach for it, my hand kind of stops halfway and goes, but, but why though? Mm. Like, why do I need, and it's because I haven't bought like, you know, the different ones. I, I think they're the, the white border, um, I was going to say the one where it looks like the wizard shocked that his spell hasn't worked, but that's like multiple different counter spell artworks. <laughs> um, but um, it's one of these things where I, I kind of had to stop a few times. So I'm like, what do what do I do? I need do I need it to be counter spell? And I guess mm. that's kind of like the question, right? If it's what do you, what does your deck need to feel that efficiency? Can it can it get away with being slightly inefficient? Well, um, this is it. This is my whole point: is that you know you can have you can have powerful cards like Brood of Cloud. I think to go back to it as my example is a very powerful commander. I don't think it gets enough love as it sort of deserves, but I don't know a single Broodclad player out there who doesn't go, whoa, this deck. And obviously, like, you know from playing it's my one, mm. and we've got a couple of others in our play group, like, can go off. And I think if you have decks that have maybe, and obviously more um, supported synergies, right? Like, artifact decks are an archetype as old as the game, right? So, you know, <laughs> building a, a red-blue artifact deck, you're not going to go too wrong if you pack it full of synergies. I understand that. But if you have a powerful commander, maybe being slightly less efficient with some of your card choices can actually balance the deck a lot better than, say, just yeah, just doing the sort of staple dot deck deck. Although I have built a couple of those as well, and that is also a theme within itself. <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, I guess because one of the main things we talked about as well was this idea of commodity, right? Of certain cards feel so... Um like outside of your reach like say for example something like sneak attack was a card that i never expected to own or put into a deck and then mm. um i happened to get hold of one uh, when modern masters came around and put it into rakdos and it feels and it's funny because normally i wouldn't want to play that kind of card because it feels inherently um try hard almost like it's only i only ever know it used when it's being used for like broken kind of silly combo-y kind of things instead of being like well i guess this is another way to cheat on mana kind of like heartless summoning or mm. dream devourer or all thematically very flavorful rakdos they're ways to cheat my creatures into play by reducing their cost and being kind of cheeky about it um and it doesn't feel like out again it doesn't feel out of place but there are certain cards like say i i haven't have a land tax and it's one of these cards of where i could put it in any of my white decks and it feel right and yet because I could put it in any of them, it doesn't feel like it should go in any of them. Mm. So I just happen to put it in the in the in a deck that happens to want to um, draw a lot of cards. It's in my Bruce um, Bruce and Timna deck because it wants a nice efficient curve and it is one of my more powerful decks. So I feel like okay, put maybe the more the more powerful card into that, and maybe one day I'll come around and make a politics deck. You know, a mono white like politics deck, and then land tax gets moved back into there because that makes sense, right? Mm. The idea of like to, um, in, encroaching or growing your land makes more sense to that. Whereas um, certain cards, like I know um, one of your barbers, something like um, Crater Hoof Behemoth, like when is that ever going to feel like a flavorful card to put in your deck? You know, to win with. Um, I don't know why. Pathbreaker Ibex feels better in Maelstrom Wanderer, but I just love the idea of when he's cascading, this random goat comes out, and that's the thing that kills you compared to a Crayon. Yeah, is that more flavorful? Maybe not. I mean, is it cooler from a mechanical point of view? Because obviously, my command is a seven power creature. Yeah. Does it thematically feel funnier because I'm chucking a giant goat at you and it's that's the thing that's killing you? Absolutely. You know, so maybe. 
again and the, this maybe it's the expense of something at crater hoof that it feels like once you have that card and you're playing it it kind of makes you feel like oh maybe i am automatically sacrificing the flavor for the function because i happen to go and buy the expensive card instead of the cheaper option and at that point is it a matter of paying to win with certain staples compared to you know removal options where it's like you're just not maybe appreciating the other options that are available yeah maybe i think i think part of it is is not so much the fact i think it, it sort of worked its way back the other way do you know what i mean like certain cards were very powerful in the format and were the kind of boogeymen of the format the Kratos, the lab maniacs the cyclonic rifts you know a lot of these cards that if you were to go and look at you know episodes of the command zone podcast with with jimmy and josh from like say three or four years ago there was a finite number of cards that every week they'd be talking about and exploring when the format was, you know, <coughs> <But Alcan Horary. laughs> well, yeah, quite, um, <laughs> you know, and there are, there are sort of a finite number of cards that people, it's not that again, they're not bored of the cards, but they want to explore other options and they want to be seen to be kind of, you know, trying to be creative and because EDH as much as, you know, you can't claim that every single person who plays EDH is like this incredible genius. I mean, I'm not, for example, but you do, it is the format which allows you to kind of, you know, try new things and flex your own identity a little bit. That's half of the reason people play it. So playing a Pathbreaker Ibex, I think, has a certain cachet to your deck that playing a Crater Hoof Behemoth maybe doesn't. Having said yeah. that, <laughs> I was I was about to say I can't remember the last time I got killed by a Crater Hoof Behemoth, but I did just watch a, a game with uh, our friend Total MTG on Adam the Gathering's uh, Twitch channel because he, he guessed on the stream and one person did win with a Crater Hoof Behemoth. So I have seen it recently. Mm. It has happened. I mean, I, I have, you know, I mean, Thassa's yeah. Oracle is another example. Like mm -hmm. when that came out, that's Lab Maniac. It's the same card. It's well, it's way better. Well, it's way better, but it's, it functions <laughs> in the same way. It goes in the same decks. Mm -hmm. The same with the the Jace from um, uh, yeah, Wilder of Spark. Mysteries. Yeah. Yes, but when people win with those cards, they're all right. People still might eye roll a little bit because of the style of deck that plays it, but people are still far more forgiving of that than they are of seeing Lab Maniac for the fifteenth time. You know? Yeah. It's, like, it's funny because I have I have a deck that specifically tries to win that way, and that's uh, the Will and Rowan deck. And I, I it was funny because I tried to make a very conscious decision with Strixhaven coming out. I still wanted it to stay as a Will and Rowan uh, partner deck, um, even though there was some, a bevy of very cool uh, Prismari options um, that came out with the set. Um, obviously, it helped that the set had a lot of Will and Rowan themed cards. And I was going to um, take out um, Jace, um, and I was going to take out um, Lab Maniac because... Um, and maybe I don't even think I play Lab Maniac anymore. I'll have to quickly check as I'm, as I'm talking. I'm going to load up the deck. Um, but I was going to take out those because I was like, well, maybe I don't want to win that way anymore. And like, you know, things like Crackle of Power or a culmination of um, studies. Um, I was like, those are two different ways that I can win by, by doubling my X spells. I don't have to, you know, do the whole draw my deck to win kind of thing. Mm. And I kind of moved Wizards out. And I was like, if I'm moving Wizards out, then it makes sense to move the Lab Man out, right? Like, because I don't need it because I'm not likely to be uh, looking. Yeah, it's not in the deck anymore. Um, but do I still have Jay's World of Mysteries in there? Yes, because it's a Planeswalker deck. So thematically, it feels like it's a lot harder to maybe resolve and, and keep a Jace in play. And the Lab Maniac didn't need to be in there because now I've got other flavorful ways to win, like the culmination of the end of the of the um, Strixhaven story of where Rowan you know, goes crazy and has a crackle with power moment. And then the moment where they work together in the culmination of studies is the, th the way that they win in the story. I'm like, well, that's the way I want to win my games, you know? Mm. Like, Jace, Wheeler of Mysteries, as much as he has an ultimate that wins you the game, or like, well, technically static, you know, is the one that wins you the game. It didn't actually do that in the, in the story to win the day realistically so it kind of feels like a flavor dud um and again like taking out taking out Labman didn't feel bad and i don't play fast oracle in the deck either because it doesn't feel 
flavor it feels done right it feels like almost like a staple way to win mm. which is a very interesting thing and as much as burn back in the day i mean actually well burn historically has never been a typical way to win an edh and now that you can it feels much more interesting and thematic to burn someone out than it does to go oh you just you do whatever you want i'm just gonna sit here and draw my entire library and i'll win and there's nothing much you can do about it yeah it's it's interesting talking about the sort of the 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 done quote-unquote ways to win because Obviously, there are tried and true methods. I find there there is a certain, and it's not necessarily a thematic uh, sort of flavor to it or a thematic aesthetic, but there is almost sort of like a meta aesthetic to decks that have these kind of packed in staple wins, if you like. And this is kind of where I think the, the sort of staple aspect can be almost flavorful, like as, a, as opposed to the synergies. So I'm talking about, if we look at my decks, my Zyrus deck, the Writhing Storm, Cesaris the Writhing Storm is essentially it's a wheels deck, right? So it's very similar to things like um, the Locust God and Akuza or anything. Mm. It sort of sits in that little wheelhouse, literally, of decks. <laughs> Obviously, it has access to green, which the others don't, so you can kind of do some other bits and bobs. And that deck, I've almost gone out of my way to make that, like, to try and really hit the high ceiling as far as casual builds of that deck can go and put in as many classic EDH win cons as i can in the deck that still obviously function to a certain degree what like as i suppose we put a caveat again halfway through the episode when we say you know synergies versus staples there is the assumption that if you're a half decent deck builder most of the cards will serve some sort of synergy but there are obviously just individual cards that you know fill roles within the deck so for example my uh Zyrus deck if i just kind of run through some of the the kind of all-star edh you know cards that are in here i've got things like Beastmaster ascension and shared animosity for tokens because zaris creates a lot of snakes i've got doubling season in there which again is another like double upper thing i've got uh things like impact tremors and perforos which is obviously a classic way to like, utilize tokens so i'm getting like hornets and snakes off of zaris and the locust god uh, but then I have things like Psychosis Crawler for like the wheel effects and stuff like that, and the two Nivmizits that ping people when you know people draw cards when I draw cards. Mm. So it's just trying to pack as much stuff in there as possible to utilize these powerful cards, and it's it's a fairly powerful deck because I have a lot of different outs that I can utilize. It gets balanced out slightly because I need Zyrus or the Locust God to kind of really make the deck function with all the win cons so maybe it's maybe a little bit win con heavy um i don't know people can sort of tell me once they sort of look at the deck list but i i like that about the deck like there's a cyclonic rift in there i like the fact that i've got a cyclonic rift in that deck because it kind of works out i haven't found a place for vidalcanori yet another part of the, the this conversation being kicked off is i told you that i had a box of um, builds that I was trying to put into my Prismari deck when I was building it, and Vidalcanori and uh, Sensei's Divining Top, I just kind of sat in a bits box <laughs> with my. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I still haven't, I've only got one copy of each. I can't find a home for them since I tore down Brudeclad, which is mental because they're like super powerful like EDH cards. Um, well, well, this is this is I guess one of the things we raised a point of is that sometimes you look at a card that's unique, like specifically powerful, and you go, well, because I guess maybe this is um, inherent of like our maybe our build style of where we feel a pull towards certain cards thematically, regardless of whether or not um, they are staples or sleepers, you know, like mm. I, there's nothing better than playing a card and have everyone at the table go, what does that do? Yeah. You know, but I mean, there are some c- certain cards like that you look at, you go, I don't even know where to put you because all you are is strong. <laughs> and yeah. and there are, and, and funnily enough, I've got enough strong options in all my decks that you don't necessarily replace anything 
like if you don't replace anything automatically right you're not like a, a strict upgrade to anything you're just a, you, a powerful card that what where do and where do i want to put you because i have a, i have a, a silly deck like i have a tassica um lands deck um yeah i know super original um but it plays you know the same kind of thing of where it has you know cyclonic rift it has uh scape shift it has you know crucible of worlds it has splendid reclamation it has mm. seaborne music as a zoos and lost but see it has every possible oh yeah that's a good lands card except for things like burgeoning or um uh, what's the other one that's uh, exploration you know it doesn't mm. play like cards like that but i mean i've got snapcaster mage in there like i've got git i've got you've just it's just the tick tick the box of oh yeah of course you typical tryhard I mean, but as a deck like i still think thematically it works very well because it's a uh, uh, it feels like the villain deck of where you play all the nonsense cards and it's like Mar, you can't interact with my lands Mar. Mm. you know that that kind of thing um but yeah there are it is sometimes a matter of like where do you put this card that doesn't have the flavor kind of to tell you where to, to to move it and i guess sometimes these cards do just find a home when you're randomly brewing like um one of the things that we we've, we've done in our um little play group a lot recently has kind of come up with budget builds i do random budget builds so this is where my tour modern tevesh deck came from of like build like um a, 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 like um i think it was under fi- under 50 50 pounds or like under 25 pounds so i was mm. like well cool we can just play all of the random like um recursion effects and then when i slowly built it up it's the first deck that i've ever owned that has both damnation and toxic deluge in it and it feels a little bit naughty because oh it was it was a cheeky little budget deck ooh, and now it's playing <laughs> things like oversold cemetery and um and um oath of uh oath of oath of graves i think it is something like all these crazy cards i saw back in the day that i'm like oh that's just super powerful graveyard stuff but it feels okay because it was had at home in like as a little budget recursion deck so it doesn't feel too bad it doesn't feel as try hard as me putting you know all this dust and you know dig through time and toxic deluge into a task mm. deck because that's dicky you know or winning with toxic deluge for like the eighth um uh, sorry torment of hellfire for the 18th time in a row oh, you know like, <laughs> i know but you know again gotta be the villain and maybe that is the theme right sometimes I guess, again, full circle, when you come around to either the cards becoming such a commodity or because being outclassed by so many other options that are slightly more nuanced that aren't necessarily worse um that you come back round to those staples and you go oh hello old friend hello vindicate oh it's been a while hasn't it you know i've put you in a deck since you know they made um anguished i'm making like mm-hmm. and it kind of becomes the anti-staple because it used to be the staple but now like you know the other cards are staples so maybe that then feels good like if you're playing in like an old school deck get an old school board of vindicate that's way better than having anguished i'm making like i'd respect that way more Mm. so yeah again maybe it's come full circle maybe that is the full circle maybe you're right i'm I'm sort of thinking like this whole episode is really us just thinking out loud we in our very first episode we spoke about what is flavor and that was literally the the title of the episode and and the, the kind of stuff that we packed in there and i think we spoke in that episode we tried to lay out what we wanted to do with this podcast and obviously you know over 70 odd episodes things have come to pass things haven't but one of the things we spoke about was the function of cards and and how they make you feel as well as like the pretty pictures or the story behind it whatever and if we're looking at if we just really rip it down to like is flavor how something makes you feel and i think that was something that was something big that we landed on that first episode if a staple makes you feel good when you're playing it like you've earned that win or get that cyclonic rift made you feel powerful or that counter spell hit right at the mark or the creative behemoth came at the last second and pumped up all your little one ones and you went ham with it then i guess there really there really isn't a problem with having staples in your deck i think that's kind of how we're like we're, we're saying it without saying it like i think we would like to prefer to play synergy and sort of thematic mm-hmm. cards over staples and staples are maybe a little bit done because you see them a lot or whatever but really when you think about it if if the person playing it 
if they feel that it's good in their deck and it makes them happy playing it, then I guess it does work for the theme of the deck. The problem is, is when someone does something and they go, oh, yeah, no, I won that way. You're like, yeah, you mm. did. But why? If you don't, if in this format, if you, if, if if you, you don't, don't like it, it, why are you doing it? it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I don't think you can blame yourself for necessarily putting those cards in or eventually finding it in the deck, right? Sometimes you don't consciously do it. If you find yourself starting like, okay, this color combination and you start with this 30 cards and then because you've also got your land base there, it's already 65% of your deck already done. Like maybe that's the problem, right? But the other thing that we haven't really mentioned at all is that between like mystical archives and secret layers and alternate art versions, like there's not just one version of Cultivate. You can play no. very different types of cultivates that all, yes, okay, it does the thing and it serves the function. No one's going to blame you for playing the card that serves the function, but maybe if you go for like, oh, I went for the Mystical Archive or I went for the Japanese artwork one, which obviously that's its own contra- controversy anyway, but you know, like it depends on which one you go for sometimes. Mm. I guess certain ones don't necessarily have an option for you, and if you are just playing it because you need that efficiency and you need that effect in your deck and nothing else does it, Chaos Warp is a prime example. Like certain decks, Chaos Warp works very flavorfully you know if you're playing like a cascade deck or if you're playing a um um i was gonna say a cha- i guess a chaos deck you know where where you well have no yeah literally a chaos deck or, or a deck literally. that like if my pippa deck had access to red for example chaos what would be going in there no problem yes yeah. exactly so like you know even a polymorphy kind of deck like it does have flavor for it i guess it just depends on how you justify it and even with things like i say secret is a really good example of how you can really flex kind of towards a certain theme if you're willing to you know pay mm. a little bit more to have that slightly more efficient thing and then maybe if you're not gonna do that that's absolutely fine and maybe then you want to go for something that mechanically is a little bit more flavorful um it's just i guess i guess the tough thing is edh rec kind of just shows these cards at the top um and maybe if that's where you're looking then you don't see much past that what i find very interesting is that the latest pre-cons had very nuanced cards there are very few staple effects mm. in there there are a lot of cards that i was like oh this works so well in here i didn't expect them to put it in here because it's maybe a more, more on the expensive side or maybe it's a little bit older or something it's a little bit more niche they could have done something that was much more simply powerful but the nuance within these decks was really interesting and then in the new cards they printed as much as they might become quote-unquote staples they have a very cool flavor to them and they have a very nice efficient or not even necessarily efficient effect but a nuanced effect that we haven't seen before um and i don't think that's a bad thing if you suddenly have a new sweeper that goes oh but like say for example doomscar like doomscar is a really good example of like okay yeah it's just a wrath it's like yeah but it's got it's got like quite a cool amount of flavor to it and it mm. only costs three mana three mana wrath's really interesting you know like a lot of these like um like the devastating mastery i used that recently of where okay cool it allows someone to bounce something back to their hand but i mean there's almost like it adds an element of politics over the top of where you need to like shake my hand to shake your hand like the demonstrate cards for example like they do very obvious simple effects that aren't necessarily super flavorful but the fact you get your opponent to engage with them it kind of creates a different theme on the card of where you want to open the option out to the table a bit more the refrain cards from the prismari pre-con the refrain of inspiration and refrain of uh oh there we go. There's me forgetting what's in my oh, own don't. deck. <laughs> we shouted about these cards like all the time when they first came out as well. That's so silly for yeah, us. Yeah, I know. Like, mate, there's, 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 there were 15 new cards that were released today that are now in my brain space. I can't remember every <laughs> word in magic. That's madness. <laughs> uh, rousing refrain and uh, rousing, that's inspiring it, yeah. refrain. Um, the fact that they're suspend. Suspend is a very well-known and very powerful mechanic. But yeah, because they use them in interesting ways and you know, they can fit in new decks. It's funny that you mentioned about the um the Mystical Archives, because I'm literally looking at Croson Grip. Croson Grip is one of my big wins mm-hmm. for like the, the Mystical Archive cards. 
specifically we're talking about mystical archives but really this is just the the big push from wizards of the coast to use things like you know like the secret layers when distribution models aside things like the secret layers the showcase cards the mystical archives all these like different um, ancillary products where they're printing like promo art and stuff on them to give staples of the format because they know that a lot of these cards are are used in edh new life so if you look at croson grip for example there's i'm looking at it on scryfall there's like two dozen printings of this card and right up until the mystical archive you had the classic croson grip artwork by zoltan boris and gabor ziskai and then you had a promo artwork uh by franz von winkle which was only on uh mitgo and an fnm promo but that's like way back in the day that's well i say way back in the day like 2010 but now in the Mystical Archive and the Japanese Mystical Archive, we now have four different printings. We literally doubled the amount of flavor. And I'm I'm Ooh. thinking specifically like using this card. If I've got my werewolf deck coming at the end of the year, and it will come at the end of the year, um, <laughs> I want to use Croson Grip because it's a good role mm-hmm. player. It's a staple card. And mm. honestly, there are a few other green removal spells that would fit the flavor of a werewolf deck. Now, the original Croson Grip artwork by and this guy wouldn't really necessarily fit it like you could kind of go well it's kind of generic nature and it's yeah. destroying the sword or whatever but isn't what, that know. artwork the staple at that point yeah yeah you know exactly I mean? but you see it you go oh okay cool yeah that card and it, it, when cards don't get like a new lease of life i feel like you don't then get the option of diversity right um yeah. it's funny because you said about it crows and grip being like the staple like uh spell. i'm like it's funny over the last like few years recently i've specifically changed all of the um crows and grips or at least i've put nature's claim into like so many decks without even sure. thinking it's almost like a personal stapling mm. of where i've gone oh yeah automatically you put the one mana spell in just because i happen to find a bunch of them realize how strong it was to have i don't care if you have four life here like destroy your mm. thing and like now it's almost like i looked at crows and grip and went actually that's so much better yeah why am i playing it and everything and in my, my, my you know my, my my spike brain and this is maybe another question of maybe different psychographics kind of go more for staples versus the synergies like maybe the Vorthos or the Johnny is more likely to play the slightly off 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 kilter kind of card, whereas uh, the Spike and the Timmy might just be like, yeah, cool, good card. You know, yeah. like maybe that's maybe that's where that, that lies. But it, I even noticed it myself of like, yeah, I've I've nature's claim stapled myself recently. Like and maybe I need to diversify where I look for my Or, or maybe like, yeah, or maybe you just hope that they do another printing because to kind of like cap off my thought about the Croson grip, the mystical archive yeah. version by Mintu Hinian which is just the the, the English uh, mystical archive, or the non-Japanese one, I should say. The artwork on that just feels more like, to me, what I would find in a werewolf deck, because it's it's kind of a storybooky illustration style. It's got a druid on there where he's got like antlers, and that kind of is a bit evocative to me to sort of the, um, the cult of the waxing moon card from Shadows Over Innistrad. And it's just, even though it's not werewolf-themed, and it's not even set on Innistrad, it just feels like it would fit in that deck better. So having all these different artworks and these different versions of stable cards. Like, imagine what they could do... I mean, they, they did a um, box-topper version of Cyclonic Rift, didn't they? Where, But it was still fairly izzity. Imagine if they did a Cyclonic Rift which was set on a Coria or something, and it was like a big maelstrom in like the sea or something like that. Yeah, I was thinking Ixalan when you said that as yeah, well. Or Ixalan, yeah, or Ixalan, exactly. Like, yeah. I think people would maybe be a lot more forgiving of that. I mean, maybe they wouldn't, but maybe people putting it into decks would be far more forgiving of themselves. Like, I have two copies of Cyclonic Rift. One of them is in my Zyrus deck, as we've discussed. That's the um, basic bitch <laughs> deck of just EDH-like win cons. But the other copy is in Zafai, Thunder Conductor. 
because it's a removal spell that is obviously very good and a staple, but it is literally a storm on the card and survives the mm. Thunder Conductor. And so I could put it in that deck without necessarily feeling like a total scumbag because it was like, well, it fits the theme of the deck. I feel good when I play it. So, mm. yeah, I don't know. Does that, does that go against us when we said about we don't understand why they did the Mystical Archive for random staples as a secret lair? No. <laughs> because, okay, good. <laughs> Digging your holes in. No, right, no, <laughs> because that was, them, that was just them making an extra product out of a style that they've already used. Like, you could have just mm. put those cards in the actual set. No, they could have that, done... That, that was, yeah, that was it. That was a good point, yeah, because they could have just put those cards in the set. Yes, yes, exactly. That was the point. Yeah. yeah. No, yes. Are there any of your decks, you think, if you were to think about your own sort of... I mean, your library of EDH decks is, is triple mine, but is there any of your decks that you feel like you've really hit a good level of cards that synergize really well with the deck that keep the theme but are just like you couldn't imagine putting staples in there because you don't think they would necessarily even do better than what you put in there um i guess hmm do you know what i mean my initial yeah because my initial take was gonna be yes bruce uh, bruce and timner and then i've just realized the top card out of my instance is a chromus will <laughs> my charm is uh... land tax i'm like oh i guess maybe maybe not um Oh, Shall I man. tell you mine? I think yes. What do you think? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, go. So go. my my one is my Atris Oracle of Half Truths deck, and I've spoken about this deck quite a lot on this podcast because it's mm. genuinely it's out of the last sort of three or four decks that I've built. This is the one where I think like I've really hit the sweet spot of what I want, not just from this deck, but from all of my EDH decks. If I had to pick like one sort of build style, and the whole theme of this deck is that Atris obviously is a fact or fiction. Well, he's a he's um. Sorry, he's a fortune's favor on a on a stick. So he's a you know put put two piles, one face up, one face down. You pick a pile to put into your hand. So he's like a someone else makes the piles and kind of tricks you into picking what they want you to pick. So the whole deck is built around choices and decisions and hidden information and you know all this kind of thing. And I try to pack as much of that into the deck as possible. So I have removal in there. That's things like um, Raven Form from Kaldheim, where it's the the foretell card. So it goes away, and then you know you don't know when it's going to happen or you've got like truth or tale or fact or fiction fortune's favor all of these kind of pick and choose cards i even have things like um uh primordial mist which manifests things off the top of your library face down so people don't know what you're doing but you can see and play them at any time it has things like ninjas like yuriko tiger shadow and sakashima student so you you attack in with one creature and then you put another one in because people don't know quite what you're attacking with and all these different kind of ideas and it's got a few flicker elements in there as well to kind of keep it functionally still relevant so it's got a great match on asphodel because actress isn't into the um battlefield ability and all this kind of thing and just each one of these cards i can look at it and think Although thematically, like it's not an Orzov deck where all the cards are from Ravnica, or it's not a Weatherlight deck where it's all the crew of the Weatherlight, they're very disparate looking cards on paper. But when you actually start looking at what they're doing and how they function, and like, yeah, I could put like a rapid hybridization in. Yes, I could put a counter spell rather than split decision, but they wouldn't work as well for the whole deck as a set of 100 cards than what I put in there. And I don't even think they would necessarily make the game smoother because. Things like fact or fiction effects are really powerful draw spells. Like if I just put in a ponder or a brainstorm or a preordain, like I have done in other blue decks, even though they're cheaper and quote unquote more efficient, they wouldn't actually make me win more games. But I'm able to win the games that I do with the cards that I put in there whilst keeping the sort of thematic structure of the deck. Like, does that make sense? 
No, absolutely. Yeah. It's funny because as soon as you said actress, I was like, oh, yeah, actually, to be fair, I did go flavor over function and Scarab God. Yeah. Um, but to avoid saying, like, training the same ground, because I play, like, a lot of the similar, like, our decks um, obviously have some degree of overlap because um, I play I play an actress in the deck as well. And I do like this idea of anything. The, the name of the deck is anything you can do, I can do better. And it literally just has every single possible way that I'm, like, of, ste- of stealing or replicating like other people's things like i play thada adele so i can sneak in and steal people's soul rings you know i play mm. um twin cast to counter spell so it's like i'm not countering your spell i'm copying your counter spell and countering your spell with your counter spell or narcissist reversal of like okay well i bounce that spell and i'm going to steal your effect and i'm going to get I'm, and i'm going to i'm going to get to use it instead that kind of mm. idea um and the other deck that i had that kind of wanted to do that that moved away from like typical staples was um maelstrom wanderer and it's interesting that recently i bought the commander collection green and I put in the worldly tutor in the Sylvan Library because I didn't have weird enough anywhere better to put them. And I was like, well, that's top of the deck manipulation, right? Mm. And funnily enough, it feels weird when I have those cards in hands. I'm like, well, that doesn't feel like what this deck was supposed to be doing. It was supposed to be like when I first built it, I just kind of wanted to throw to throw together the best possible way to make a Nathan version of that deck. And I know that's really self-serving, but I could have gone with like a typical cascade route. You know, I could have just done the, the I've seen a, a fair few decks recently where I'm like, cool, I can kind of like maybe like playing play things like Sunbird's Invocation. Like I, I, I don't play Sunbird's Invocation in there. I wanted to kind of make it my own flavor. And recently I've kind of betrayed that by putting in these kind of staple cards. Whereas I feel like Scarabod's the one deck that I've been like, no, I no, I'm going to, I'm going to keep mm. being me and I'm going to make it. I'm going to make every, and every time I find like a new interesting way to do it, like say, or a, um, or a thief is annoyingly expensive. When it dies, you steal all enchantments on the battlefield. I'm like, Oh, that's so cool. And no one really plays it outside of like douchey old school decks. So like, that'd be really cool, but it's expensive. So that's kind of like, that's like maybe the opposite of a commodity card that feels really flavorful for the deck that I can't necessarily get to. But when I do get it, it feels even better because it's a commodity that is flavorful and it fits the deck nicely instead of, you know, stupid sneak attack which i feel really bad for every time i play it because it's really good and it slaps you mm. know so it's funny that we both went dim here because i guess i guess it also depends on what the theme of the deck is like some themes typically have greater staples in them right like anointed procession and doubling season for token decks like you don't necessarily have other options for that there are certain i the certain themes that kind of just play better with say a divine visitation you kind of want to put in most your most of your white token making decks and if you're not you're maybe not playing optimally and there isn't unfortunately a suboptimal flavorful option that kind of takes its place so i guess it depends on what deck you're going for now and the more support they give each individual mechanic and each individual color uh, pairing especially with something like strixhaven where it expands what guilds can do mm. into like colleges you know that's maybe where and it's, this maybe is a really interesting time to talk about it because we are almost like rewriting the history book of what certain colors can do and the stable effects for it like i don't necessarily know if osgear decks need a boris charm like they probably do, like they, they probably would benefit from it, but I don't think it's an automatic inclusion when you're upgrading the deck to put it in there. Mm. Um, so maybe, yeah, maybe it's just a design philosophy thing recently um, of where they kind of create these nice, diverse effects that could kind of be can fulfill the individual role without feeling like you have to replace it with that old card that's better. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think this idea of kind of rejigging the colours is is going to pay off in the long run. I think thematically as well as sort of diversifying the staple pool, if you like. Because if you look at a card like um, Smothering Tithe, right, which is the staple yeah. white ramp, if you like, you know, ramp card, four cost enchantment, gets you treasures when everyone else, you know, draws a card. They've obviously, that was like their kind of prototype to see where they could push white. And they've they've made other cards that are, doing things was it monologue tax that they put in one of the strict yeah. precons that's a very similar thing and you can tell that this kind of 
uh, way of getting White to ramp is where they're looking to push, right? Obviously, Smothering Tithe is still objectively the best because that was, I think, the furthest they could push it. But mm. I think we will start seeing that because this is a staple White card now. In a couple of years' time, it might not be so because there might be other things going on. I have two copies of Smothering Tithe. One of them is in my Carl of the Ghost Council deck because it's an Orzhov card, and I like the idea of having the, the treasure tokens with, from uh, Guilds of Ravnica and Ravnica Allegiance, which are the Orzhov coins on the treasure. So that is literally a thematic reason, as well as it being a very powerful card. Uh, but it's also my Chesa, Queen of Chesa deck, which is a three-color Mardu deck, where I'm like, well, it'd be silly not to put it in there, really. So yeah. that is a more yeah. stable decision, <laughs> right? Absolutely, um, that's that's why it's in my Timber and Tower. It's like, well, yeah. I can't not play it. It better go in my good deck, you know? <laughs> yeah, so I wonder, I wonder. I think it's. I think we're in an interesting time. Just, we don't have much time left, and I'm, I'm kind of aware that this is a very unstructured episode. Do you think, just as a kind of cap-off question, do you think that the kind of boogeyman of staples is really as prevalent in the playgroups that at least the playgroups that we play in, but obviously we've been playing with a lot more other people as well because of things like spell table and you know creating content offers you a lot of chances to play with interesting people you wouldn't necessarily get to play with in your own playgroup as well do you think staples are are as prevalent in the format as they were maybe two years ago three years ago god no i think the only prevalent staples that i don't think you'll ever be able to avoid are mana rocks and ramp Mm. everything else has been diversified enough now that you have flavor options in every direction and you're not necessarily always going to see the same especially considering that answers tend to be to, in, to tend to change with the metagame anyway if you are doing that kind of thing of where you know your metagame is going to diversify or if it's going to go towards a certain direction if you're the kind of person that changes your decks you know kind of week by week depending on what other people are playing then i don't think your decks ever kind of sit on a staple thing anyway but i feel like something like soul ring or arcane sig and it's very hard to print things that uh, it's hard to print better options or like parallel options because they just it's there isn't a lot of flavor to be diversified there but those aren't really the cards that do things in your decks right those are just the ways that your deck works you know mana is just an unfortunate necessity in mm. the deck you know i know that hearthstone got away with not having it but we have to have lands we have to have mana kind of to make our game work so i feel like that doesn't matter whereas with every other aspect the threats i feel like the creature diversity is is so good these days that it doesn't matter like which one you go for it's never like an empirically wrong answer mm. uh, same with card draw i think even counter spells i think removal and this is where our conversation started of where we say oh is, is removal kind of the staples that are hard to avoid being the same ones in every deck like apart from a card like say chaos warp which is very specific and very un irreplaceable currently in the game i can very easily see having a couple of other analogs in say you know two or three years time yeah for sure i think i'm i'm willing to agree with you there for all those reasons and i would add also that i kind of feel like the kind of as you said at the top of the episode the kind of breathe in breathe out with card design also lends itself to to players as well i know this is obviously you can't talk for all players because there's thousands of people across the world that play magic and there are thousands of people who play uh, commander specifically as well but i i sort of feel at least from my experience in our play group and sort of playing with other people like sort of once or twice from very different play groups the majority of what i'm seeing and and on things like social and discord is that people want to be able to flex outside of the edh rec top 100 right and they're not mm -hmm. necessarily doing it to like kind of you know belittle other people's build styles or whatever it is very much like they just want to 
test their own decks. A lot of people, especially if they've been playing the game for a couple of years, like not so much maybe slightly newer players because they're they're going through this process. But if players have played for a couple of years, they've probably built all the decks or they've played a lot of the cards, which are the kind of you know EDH rec top one hundred, or they've played it played against them. And so I think the more popular the format becomes, the more like players become sort of more enfranchised. You know, the the bigger the sort of like uh sort of two plus year player base of edh players grows mm-hmm. i think the more and more we're going to start seeing that you know staples as a kind of breed certainly become a lot less prevalent and i think that's a good I thing th- yeah yeah i feel like it's kind of becoming an obsolete terminology because players either now look older for like all look f- past like say this i like to say, think of it like a five-year threshold right of mm. where those are the cards that were played a lot in the early stages of um, edh where people didn't necessarily know about the older sets or look into them and we're getting lots of you know reprints and throwbacks and stuff and ways to access older sets are much more easy with things like scryfall or you have the current uh, quote-unquote dilemma of where so many new cards are influxing that it's very easy to overlook going and look like from two sets ago oh shit i didn't realize that was a card that was printed how did i miss that and then you suddenly it's a you know because there's so much new product it's almost like the new cards that should be staples and should take place are are coming so thick and fast you don't have time to really notice them so it feels like we're kind of that that little bubble like that five year to ten year ago kind of bubble of staples is slowly i think i think the, the the in reality the bubble burst on it already it's just that the numbers don't necessarily translate immediately to something like edh rec i think it's much more likely that say archaeomancer's maps are a card that should be played in every white deck to the point mm. of where you'll probably see yeah smothering tithe eventually become obsolete as the price climbs and the accessibility to it is less um is less affordable and less realistic and it becomes that commodity card of where it's no longer a staple because you can't get hold of it as easily so you play the other alternatives and maybe those are technically more staple than other cards because of their accessibility you watch archaeomancer's map be about 35 bucks in a, in, a, in a couple of years and people not be able to play it because it's harder to get hold of mm. like yeah and i feel like it, dep- it again it depends as well when they start doing like these lord of the ring sets and warhammer sets will people gravitate away from them deliberately because the flavor of the card doesn't fit the deck so or do they print a card that's so good that then it becomes much more noticeable as a staple because it stands out because its flavor is so different to the rest of your deck mm. like i guess some staples get away with it because they don't have any flavor if you don't notice it being like against the grain of the rest of the deck it doesn't feel like it's wrong because it's they're so um innocuous in their yeah. flavor like who knows yeah i think again maybe it's an obsolete terminology these days maybe 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 we're behind in the times maybe my like <laughs> trick is behind in the times catch up buddy <laughs> maybe this entire episode is just completely pointless and we've just wasted an hour of your life <laughs> well yeah i don't know it's an interesting it's an interesting thought process though right yeah. like yeah I mean, what's, yeah, I mean I, this, is, this is what we've been chatting about. And it was just, yeah, I think it was just worth putting, like, pressing the record button and sort of seeing mm. what was happened. I think throughout this episode, I don't know if you've noticed, I've been very careful as to whether to say things are good or bad or objectively boring or objectively exciting. Um, a couple of episodes I was talking about Fetchlands and I went, oh, I've never been caught out by a Fetchland. And mul- <laughs> multiple people in our play group messaged me directly and was like yeah. what the fuck are you talking about you've lost my oh, wing race deck plenty of it's times it's so funny <laughs> it's so funny that you, you you had your own little um, meta commentary that was going on around you after saying yeah that. like i got shouted at <laughs> from all directions and i was like yeah. all right all right I, d- I didn't expect to be called out on it jesus christ yeah <laughs> i sit yeah. in my room with a microphone in front of me i can say whatever the fuck i like i don't expect it to have repercussions <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true that's true 
I guess I guess one thing I haven't we haven't really said is that it's funny that most of the staples tend to be the cards that like do something by themselves rather than the cards that other cards work through, mm. right? So I guess at that point it just depends on whether you're building your decks to serve functions or to go through a process, mm. um, and that's a whole different conversation for another time. <laughs> it is indeed. Well, there we go. I think we've uh, philosophized on this rather enough. I mean, this is the kind of thing that you could do an entire podcast series on, really. And indeed, it does form the basis of a lot of content that's out there. I think it's just we, we focus so much because thankfully we actually have it nowadays. We focus quite a lot on the the narrative of the cards, which is something that we set out to do. And sometimes mm. I think we forget to look at the other things, which is just simply how do the cards function and how what does that mean for the game that we play? Because we are first and foremost magic players. I think you know we forget that yeah. even ourselves. You know, so yeah, I think it was a question worth worth answering, or at least you know mm. waffling around. Um, all right, guys. Well, let us know what you feel about the uh, synergies versus staples debate. Um, you can let us know on our Twitter at mtflavoring. You can email us mtflavoring at gmail dot com. Uh, my personal Twitter is at Andy Manface. Nathan's yours is at the Fox in the Moon. Uh, and yeah, check out our YouTube channel as well. Like we thrown up the Christian Gregory uh, interview that we did a video for that. So that is now on our YouTube. Um, and yeah, do all the kind of podcasty things like hit the five stars and leave a cool comment and say how great we are and that you, you love us talking nonsense for an hour into your ear holes. Um, <laughs> that's literally what we've just done here. Um, other than that, Nathan, do you have any final words? Uh, no, I guess technically speaking, we're kind of back in spoiler season. Squirrels. Um, other than that, no, no, that's that's what I've got to People say. love <laughs> a squirrel. I've noticed. Fucking, this. who doesn't love a squirrel? Mm. Who doesn't love a squirrel? I don't even play squirrels. I've never played squirrels, and somehow I'm still delighted every time they print new squirrel cards. I it's like an ingrained human character. I don't, I don't know. I don't. There's something about them, just squirrels. Like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my final thought is that I hope that the end of May signals the end of the literal month-long rainy season we've had in the UK, because it has been unbearable. Oh, man. What happens to summer? Jeez. Well, Jeez. spring. This we time last year. We didn't have year. spring. We didn't have spring. Where did it go? Actually, that's a good point. I think my, the magnolia outside my house, it bloomed for like three days, and then it, there was a cold snap, frost on the ground, and all the petals fell off. And I was like, well, I guess that's spring and summer gone back into winter. Great. Oh, <laughs> Fantastic. Unbelievable. magnolia. We'll pour one out for your magnolia. All right, well, on, on Nathan's <laughs> wilting magnolia, we will leave it there. Uh, all that remains for me to say, guys, is thank you so much for listening. This has been Magic Playroom. We'll see you soon.